Welcome back to the Wellhouse Exorcism. This is your ghost of a host of the most, Shanna. Hi! Oh boy, I'm glad I brought you back. I'm back. <laughs> and your name is? Oh, you know, it's Puck with PJ. I thought you forgot for a second. Like, oh, you know, I have no idea. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been, been so 80, long. It's been 84 years. <laughs> Welcome back to um, an episode that has well over 10,000 listens Woo! now for our podcast. Woo -woo! We are officially going to begin our giveaway. I'll post a picture to our Facebook page. Remember... If you want to get on this, you got to comment on the picture on Facebook or message us on Facebook or email us at gamesoboard at gmail.com. Yeah. All you shy listeners out there, yeah, we yes. know you exist. <laughs> Wait, I have proof on ACAST. <laughs> I have definitive proof. And it's not yeah. just me and PJ listening. If you want to win something from us, you got <laughs> you got to say something. <laughs> I know. Whatever you're doing, stop right now, unless you're driving, in which case, pull over somewhere very safe. <laughs> Don't stop right now. Don't stop right now. Um, but get to go on to Look out the deer! <laughs> Only in Pennsylvania. <laughs> go on Games Overboard on Facebook to find the picture, or find this video on YouTube and comment on the YouTube section, or just email us at gamesoboard at gmail.com for a chance to win. If you have my cell phone number, like a couple people do, because you're besties now, you can just message me that way. Hi, Jackie talking to you. And Carrie talking to you, too. And Penny, a couple people oh my gosh. now. I got so many people. Anyway. <laughs> oh, and Alicia. <laughs> and Alicia. <laughs> we just give out our phone number to everybody now. Anyway. Oh, and Maggie's caskets. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> we talked via email. Anyway. Uh, so the things you're going to get if you win... There is a sign to hang up in your house or on your front door. It's a picture of a cool cat that has a pentagram on its head. It's a black cat, of course, with the different phases of the moon. And it says, check your energy before you come in this house. I love it. It's purple and black. You're going to get the magnet for the car, of course. Why wouldn't you? You're going to get the pin, the Wellhouse Exorcism. You're going to get the pin that says, spooky for life, not just Halloween. And there's skulls and a ghost. And the ghost is saying, boo. And it's very sparkly. There is a wallet purse here. It's a small one. It says, have a nice die. And it is the Grim Reaper in front of a rainbow <laughs> on a cloud. That's adorable. Uh, you get the Wellhouse Exorcism t-shirt. And my new favorite, the Adopt-A-Ghost. It's the cutest little it's, thing in the whole world. It's ridiculous. I love it. It's a little ghost made out of uh, felt. And uh, it's in a box. And it has a little, like, paper for adoption in there. It's so cute. She's convinced that there's writing on the paper. Yes, but I or don't, she really hopes that there is. I don't want to open it because I don't want to ruin it. Yeah, we don't no. want to ruin it for whoever wins it. I'm going to do it. Oh, boy. I'll just roll it really tight afterward. Oh, it does! His <laughs> name is Lobby. He was born on the 6th of December in 1919. His occupation was shoemaker. He likes trains and he dislikes bunions. <laughs> And it says, quote, many times the wrong train took me to the right place. Oh, Lobby. Oh, let me roll this back. I mean, I was, I was, I'm so happy I opened this now. No, I don't want to get rid of him. Oh, I want to adopt the ghost. Watch. I'll put this, see, look at that. I, oh, wait, maybe, maybe I didn't ruin it. Our listeners still get to adopt a ghost and pretend that I never, oh, I ruined it. Nope, I did it. I got it. We're good. Pull it tight. Yeah, I keep all this in. <laughs> we are going to. So we're going to laugh at the me. The squeaking of the paper is just... <laughs> it's proof that I opened it here. I'm closing the box now. Sorry, Lobby. I'm not allowed to adopt you. I have to give you to somebody else. But I want you. So there you go. It's a really great giveaway. We're only giving away to our people who listen in America. Sorry, Nigeria and Madagascar and Australia. It's so expensive. It's very expensive to ship anywhere else. But anyway, that's what you're going to get in the giveaway. 
Thank you so much for listening to us for the past year. It's been awesome. It's been so much fun. It's been really incredible. Yes. And I told PJ he gets to be in charge next week. Yes. Since I got to do my mini series of Poe, he gets to do something now. What do you have in mind for next week? Oh, I have some ideas. Not sure yet. Kicking a couple around. Oh, kicking the can. All right. Well, tonight I wanted to read you some scary stories, but real life scary stories. Stories told by locals. Um, For all the places we've actually talked about for the past year, many of the the major places. So one will be Bigfoot. And it's coming out of Pennsylvania's Unexplained Mysteries, Ghosts, UFOs, Cryptids, and More by Tony Urban. And they're true stories that were collected by him. This one is by Lee Varner in Somerset County, but it's called The Beast on Brown Road. Okay. Okay. Out of Kirsten, Pennsylvania, Stories of the Damned in the Keystone State by Mark Nesbitt, our best friend. Oh, yeah. And Patty A. Wilson. You're going to get a couple, actually. And it all has to do with, no surprise, Gettysburg. One's called A Reverse Curse. Which is kind of fun to say. That is fun. And Chickie's Rock, because that takes oh, place Chickie's between Rock. Columbia and Marietta. I yeah. know Chickie's Rock. You've been there? No. Alba Twitch. Oh, of course, the Alba Twitch. You and your Alba Twitch. <laughs> anyway. And then Spooky Pennsylvania is their book we're going to use. Tales of Haunting, Strange Happenings, and Other Local Lore, um, which is retold by S.E. Schlosser. No, Schlosser, but it's... Uh, but Shout out to Secret Cabal Gaming Podcast. Uh, if you decided to listen to our entire collection obviously uh, the whole thing all 50 plus episodes (laughs) you couldn't put us down (laughs) who couldn't put us on pause (laughs) anyway uh to you want to mention them because of why just because you want to give a shout out to them because it's them that i found out about the alba Alba twitch Twitch. yes you and the alba twitch anyway um so going into williamsport then since we just did paris sabrina and of course we did um the Plum Creek Massacre. Mm-hmm. So I have a ep- an, uh, little story here called Sweet Sicily Song out of Williamsport. Mm. And yes. And then I have another one called The White Lady, because we discussed the white ladies out of Altoona this time. And a final story will be Sax Covered Bridge, also in Gettysburg. So since you've heard all the stories I have, what do you want to hear first? Williamsport, Chickie's Rock, the Gettysburg stuff, Bigfoot. What do you want to hear? Should we just go in order from how you introduce them? Well, no, because then the sax covered bridge would not be in order. I want to do all the Gettysburg together. Save the Gettysburg for the last. Okay, so we will go first into Pennsylvania's Unexplained Mysteries and we will do Bigfoot first. Because you mentioned Alba Twitch, so why should we have <laughs> Bigfoot too? Alright. This is from a person named Lee Varner. Real story. Alright. Okay, you ready? You ready to be scared? It, oh. Okay. <laughs> well, it's unexplained. I don't think you're going to be scared as much as titillated. I love Ooh. that word. It just sounds inappropriate, but I love that word. Yeah. Anyway, I can't use it in eighth grade because kids giggle. So. Do they titter? They titter when I see the word titillated. Anyway, <laughs> I've never believed in ghosts or aliens or creatures like Bigfoot. The subject never even interested me. All I believed was what I saw with my own two eyes until the fall of 2008. Okay, pretty recent. I was hoping you go dun dun dun, but never mind. You lost. All right, take two. No, no, <laughs> no Cue me two. up. Cue me up. Until the fall of two thousand and eight. Dun dun dun. That's okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, I just want to say I would have been a great Raven when she read her Poe stories. Okay, oh, yeah? l- listen to this. Listen to this. Never more. That's See? not scary. It's See? funny. <laughs> See. <laughs> so you listen to my readings. A little bit, yeah. Did I titillate you? Yes, I didn't titter. 
Well, you shouldn't. They're scary. Okay, but well, you this. said I, I, a sort of listen to it. You didn't listen to the whole thing. Not all of them. I got an audiobook and I was just kind of engrossed in the audiobook. My episodes were mini episodes. They're 15 minutes I'm long sorry. tops. I listen to your games overboard stuff <laughs> every week. Anyway. How about well, this? There I, no. Ah. I know that my listeners listen, even if they don't talk to me. All right. <laughs> You're in this house 24 27. I don't want to talk to you. Anyway. So back to this. So he never believed in Bigfoot until the fall of 2008. The exact date has slipped from my mind, but it was around the middle of November before Thanksgiving. The time change had already passed by. Hey! That's uh, also why I chose this, by the way. Today is daylight savings time. Yep. Which meant it was dark a little after 5 p.m. Those short days always made it hard to get anything accomplished, so by the time I was finished with work and made a quick stop at the grocery store, I felt like the day was already gone. I was on my way home, heading toward the southern part of the county and taking my usual course. One of the many rural, two-lane country roads I took was Brown Road. Brown was typical of roads in the area. Narrow, winding, plenty of hills and dips. Dirt. Hence the brown. There were few houses and no street lights of any kind. All that lit up the land was the moon and the headlights of my sportage. Not brown. It'd be like a pale blue. Oh, boy. Thick woods accompanied the area on either side of Brown Road. Brown on the bottom. And I made a point to be alert, especially that time of year and that time of day, because, as those in the rural Pennsylvania know, that's prime time for deer to be running. Look, it's all, coming, it's all coming together. <laughs> I can't recall how many times I missed clipping a white tail by less than a few feet. The thing seemed to appear out of thin air, bouncing across the road, oblivious to the two tons of steel threatening to flatten them. I also want to say, as we always say, they always come in pairs, too, in Pennsylvania. Yep. Wait for the second one. Yeah, my mom never, when we drove down the road, she would never say, look out for the deer. She'd say, where's its friend? Where's its friend? <laughs> and so you automatically hit the brakes, because... If it's springtime, where's its babies? Yeah. Oh, boy, anyway. I saw plenty of other wildlife on that road over the years. Raccoons, possums, a few turkeys, and porcupines. I even saw Mama Bear and her three cubs many years back. Aww. Not brown in PA. I never know. But I had never seen anything like what crossed ahead of me that night in November. As I rounded one of the curves, what I can only describe as a beast lumbered out from a cor- uh, corpse. <laughs> I've been reading too much Poe. <laughs> lumbered out from a corpse. I keep saying corpse. <laughs> We're not going to cut this either. Poe, Poe, Poe. Okay. Out of a copse of pines and stepped right in front of me. My headlights hit it and gave me a good look. Maybe too good. This beast stood on two legs, covered head to toe with dense, muddy brown fur. Brown again. Brown. Its yellow <laughs> eyes blazed as they caught the reflection of my headlights, and its head snapped to attention as it looked right back at me. The face was like that of a hound, a long muzzle and a black nose. I couldn't make out any ears, but the head definitely made me think of a canine. Its front legs hung at its side, but I didn't get a good look at the hands or feet, or whatever was at the end of those appendages. I'd estimate it as being between five and six feet in height. I know this will sound insane, but my first thought was, I'm looking at a werewolf. Not because I believed in such nonsense, but because it reminded me of one of those creatures in the movies. It didn't howl at the moon or bear its fangs or anything like that. It simply loped away to the opposite side of the road. As it moved away from me, I saw a long tail, probably two feet in length and bushy like a fox's tail. Then it vanished in the cover of the trees. I stared for a moment, too shocked to comprehend what I'd seen. I stared at the spot in the trees where it slipped away, wonder if it might return, and hoping it wouldn't. I didn't stick around long enough, 
though, stomping down the pedal and leaving a bit of rubber on the road as I made my own hasty retreat. Now, it's funny because later he says in here, um, he led to breaking his silence after he watched a TV show on uh, Native American mythology where they mentioned dogmen. And hmm. so, you know, it's not Bigfoot. It's not a werewolf. It's dogmen. Dog and he's brown. He's brown. How now, brown cow? <laughs> so anyway, so that's from Pennsylvania's Unexplained Mysteries. Real story from Lee Varner. That's pretty cool. Right? I like that. So, you know, we have BEKs in PA. We got Bigfoot in PA. Now we, we got Apple Twitches. We got, yeah. We got the Apple Twitches. <laughs> UFOs. All of it. So, what do you think? Do you want to go to Brown Road? I have a hard time believing in, like, werewolves and things like that. But, but it's not a werewolf. It's a dog man. Dog man. Dog He's man. got a fluffy tail. I won't go pet him. Well, until Mr. Dogman uh, introduces himself to me <laughs> and I shake his paw, uh, then until that day, I'm not going to believe. Dogman, if you're listening. Mr. Dogman. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, what, oh, yeah, it's not Mrs. because there wasn't a pink bow in his hair, so it can't be Mrs. <laughs> That's a shout out to all of our D&D campaigns where every single time. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, well, you know, what we have, we get a phone call. Hello, this is Mr. Talkman first. <laughs> Long time oh listener, gosh. first time caller. It's all coming together. <laughs> all right. Mr. Dogman, email us. <laughs> at gamesoboard at gmail.com. Jackie has some questions from medical nature as to why you're so hairy. <laughs> Think Why Carrie. your snout is so long? <laughs> Carrie just wants to braid your hair. <laughs> sure, she'll have fun. All right. Anyway, so let's take a little jaunt over to Williamsport Way. You know, Paris, Sabrina, all that fun stuff. Yeah. All right. So this one also is a Native American story. Okay. It's called Sweet Sicily Song. It's a lot of sounds, which is not good. Alliterative. How alliterative of them. That's right. This is coming from Spooky, Pennsylvania. Powderhorn and his family lived on a wide stream near Williamsport. They were a remnant of the Mingo tribe, who had remained behind when their people were driven west into the Indian Territory, refusing to leave their land. Their home was located directly across the stream from a Scottish farmer named Ezra McGrady, who treated his Mingo neighbors with respect. Powderhorn had a younger daughter named Sweet Sicily, after the delicate plant used throughout the area for healing. The girl was beautiful and sweet and kind, and all of the men and women in the region were deeply attached to the child, who had the voice of an angel. Sweet Cicely would often climb to the large rock overlooking the stream and sing for hours. The sound of her lovely voice would float in the air for miles, enchanting her neighbors and the raftsmen who worked the stream when it was filled to overflowing during the springtime floods. As Sweet Cicely grew into womanhood, she fell in love with Wild William, a Mingo man who worked for Farmer McGrady. Wild William would listen to his sweetheart singing as she waited for him atop the rock overlooking the stream and would join her as soon as he finished his tasks for the day. The young couple would sit and talk for hours in their lofty perch. The raftsmen floating down the stream would watch for them and wave as they drifted past the rock. Sometimes Sweet Cicely would sing for them as they navigated the rough waters with their poles. But... A day came when a stranger rode his raft down the stream, a man who did not care for the native families in the area and wished them driven out. When he heard the sweet voice of the Mingo maiden singing an old ballad of her people, he gazed upon her with loathing and with lust. 
Docking his raft on the shore, he ran rapidly up the slope toward the rock where she sat waiting for her beloved Wild William to come to her at the end of his day's labors. Across the stream, Wild William looked up from his work and saw the man approaching Sweet Cicely with such a look of evil intent upon his face that the frantic Mingo lad dropped everything and ran to the stream. As he rode desperately across the raging river, he saw the man making advances toward the beautiful maiden who rejected his foul suggestions. In a fury, the man grabbed her by the throat. Wild William leaped ashore and raced up the slope, but by the time he reached the rock at the top, sweet Cicely lay dead upon the ground, and her murderer had fled the scene and disappeared. William collapsed at his lover's side, overcome by horror and grief. So far, it's a sad story. Yeah. There's also a picture. Here oh, she is, okay. sitting up there. She's sitting on a rock. Oh, there she is. Okay. Yeah, I'm like, I see her. I turn like this. They're better. Very pretty. Yes. But anyway, moving back. Everyone in the neighborhood was devastated by the lovely girl's tragic death, but the local authorities, when appealed to, did nothing to track down the girl's murderer. In disgust at the white man's treatment of himself and his family, Powderhorn packed everything he owned and left Pennsylvania forever, followed shortly there by a disconsolate William, who mourned his lost love his whole life long. The neighbors and Rasmin, who had so many times listened and wandered to the lovely song of Sweet Cicely, mourned for many months and spoke bitterly about the fatal spring when a murderer had stolen her life from them all. It was early in the spring of the next year that McGrady and his farmhands heard the voice of Sweet Cicely floating over the ridge from the rock opposite his property. She was singing the same ballad she had sung on the day she was murdered. McGrady dropped everything, as Wild William once had done, and rode across the stream, his heart pounding with hope. Perhaps Sweet Cicely was not dead, but the rock, when he reached it, was empty. He stood listening with trembling heart at the phantom voice as it finished its song and then made his way back home. The voice was heard no more that day. But again and again that spring, the voice of Sweet Cicely rang out over the raging floodwaters of the stream. Several raftsmen were so enchanted by the siren that when they forgot to pay attention to the stream and overturned their crafts, the number of deaths on that stretch of stream rose dramatically. Others drew their rafts up on the bank near Farmer McGrady's house and went inside to inquire about the beautiful voice they had heard singing on the ledge. One day, a cruel-faced man came to the farmer's house and demanded to know who, what had become of the Mingo family who lived across the stream. He was drunk and belligerent, and his anger had been aroused by the phantom voice that he had heard singing from the ledge. He seemed to think it a foul trick played on him by the native family. His suspicion and guilt made McGrady suspicious. The farmer drew out the man— learning his name and occupation and other details. McGrady was sure he was looking at the face of Sweet Cicely's murderer. After the man left, McGrady sent out word to the local residents, identifying the cruel-faced man as Sweet Cicely's murderer. The raftsmen in particular were furious, and they decided to seek vengeance for the lovely girl's death. The cruel-faced man was spotted on the stream early the next spring, gazing in fear and loathing at the place where Sweet Cicely had once sung her ballads. Recognizing the man as the wanted murderer, a young rafter who was cruising the same stretch of stream aimed his craft at the unsuspecting man's vessel and crashed into it, pitching the murderer into the raging stream. The man was instantly swept away by the fierce waters, his body crushed again and again against the large rocks until he drowned. Nice. The mangled body was picked up farther downstream, and a group of raftsmen buried the murder unceremoniously in a hole they dug near Powderhorn's abandoned house. As the last of the dirt was flung back onto the grave, the beautiful voice of Sweet Cicely rang out from the ledge overlooking the stream. She was singing the old native ballad she had sung the day she died. The raftsmen stood in silence and still until the Mingo maiden had completed her song. 
On the far side of the stream, Farmer McGrady stood with his hat on in his hands and tears in his eyes. Her voice had never sounded so clear and sweet as it did at that moment. That was the last time anyone ever heard Sweet Cicely's song. Huh. It's beautiful and sad at the same time. Yeah. But anyway, that's an actual local legend in Williamsport. And that's actually not too far from the whole Plum Creek Massacre. Because the Mingo people actually play a, a specific section of that story. They're actually part of it. Hmm. Yep. The Mingos stayed. Fun I've never fact. heard of that tribe. Really? It's amazing how many, like, smaller tribes so around, many. you know, because yep. you always hear about the Navajo and the Sioux and the Iroquois and things like that. So, Yeah, the Mingos. So whenever I would watch, um, what's that? The Blazing Saddles. Mongo. I would always go, Mingo. Oh, wait, no, that's wrong. <laughs> Mongo. So do you want to hear about the white lady in Altoona? Oh, a white lady sighting. Yes. It's very creepy. And it's actually um, pretty uh, recent, too. There's also a drawing. Interesting. Okay. And she has a dog. Well, that's... Anyway, here's the whole story. (laughs) Okay. It was dark when he left the office that night, but the moon was full and shone so brightly it dimmed the stars in the late autumn sky. He drew a deep breath of crisp air and stretched his arms out wide to get the kinks out of his back. The project he had been working on was brutal, but tonight was finally complete, and he could relax. I love openings like that because it's so ironic. Like, what a happy evening until death. He hummed softly to himself as he got into the car. It was a perfect night for a drive and traffic was light, so he decided to take the long way home over Wapsonanok Mountain. There was a famous hotel and lookout on top of the mountain, but it had burned down in the early part of the 20th century and was never replaced. The Wapsie Lookout, I love the name of it, the Wapsie Lookout, was now the haven of television and radio towers. It was also known as the local lover's lane, he remembered with a grin. There were a few times in the not-so-distant past when he himself had gone parking there with the lady who was now his wife. Good times, good times. That's like, wiggle my eyebrows. Tell me that was written there. It is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> He turned onto the road leading up the mountain, driving swiftly but carefully. It was a treacherous, winding road, and one particular curve had earned the nickname Devil's Elbow because of the many accidents that had occurred there throughout the years. It was late in the evening, and traffic was sparse. He hadn't seen another car since he turned onto the Juanita Gap Road, but now a light appeared ahead of him. It was not bright enough or moving fast enough to be the headlights of another vehicle. Perhaps, he mused, it was the flashlight of a stranded traveler. He slowed the car a bit, watching as the flickering light drew closer. About a hundred yards ahead, he saw the slight figure of a woman dressed in a tattered white gown, walking along the side of the road. She was carrying an old-fashioned lantern, which was the source of the light he had seen, and was gazing around her with a look of such frantic worry that he pulled the car to the side of the road and rolled down his window. "'Excuse me, miss,' he called to the woman in white. "'Do you need help?' The woman turned sharply and gazed at him, hope flashing in her fathomless dark eyes. But when the lantern light fell on her face, her shoulders sagged disappointedly, and she sighed. He wondered who she was looking for so frantically. He asked again, Do you need help? After considering him for a long moment, she nodded and said, Yes, please, I need a ride to the lookout at the top of the mountain. He motioned to the car and she got into the back seat. When he heard the door close, he put the car in gear and started up the mountain. He glanced into the rearview mirror at the woman and then gasped softly, for she wasn't there. He whipped his head around quickly and saw her sitting in the seat behind him, her lantern resting beside her. 
He gave her a puzzled smile and turned his gaze back to the road ahead of him. Don't like that. <laughs> mm, seems kind of spoopy. Are of course, gonna... <laughs> me now knowing, like, after, you know, a couple years of being involved in paranormal stuff, I know about the woman in white trope and how it's a common thing. And I don't know if I'd ever pick up a woman <laughs> in white on the side of the road. Oh, you're in a car accident? How unfortunate for you that you're wearing a white dress. Bye. Yeah. I don't believe you're real. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Note to self. No, I never wear white anyway, so I'm safe. Are you looking for someone, he asked casually, trying to catch another glimpse of her in the rear of your mirror. Did your car break down somewhere? The mirror was empty of all, save the darkness of the road behind him and the red glow of his taillights. He could not see the woman in the back seat at all. He risked another glance over his shoulder and saw her sitting behind him. Her face crumpled a little, and she held a lace handkerchief to her eyes, which were brimming with tears. I am searching for my husband, she whispered softly. I know he must be here. Oh, he did. <laughs> were you in an accident, he asked, forcing his attention back to the treacherous dark Yes, my carriage overturned. <laughs> Wow, how'd you know? Is he still with the car? Perhaps he got a tow somewhere. They were nearing the devil's elbow, and he didn't dare turn around again until they were past the dangerous turn. He risked another glance into the rearview mirror, and again he saw no sign of his passenger. He swallowed convulsively, completely spooked by the encounter. Behind him, the woman in white said, I have looked everywhere for him. I know he must be here. He slowed the car as he approached the bend in the road. Suddenly, he heard the sharp, frightened whinny of a horse, followed by the thunder of hooves and the rattle and screech of a carriage that was out of control. Oh, this... I totally called it. <laughs> I know you did. Did you read this book? No, you didn't, but wow. <laughs> the sound came from somewhere on the road ahead of him, and he braked reflexively to avoid an accident. Behind him, the white lady screamed. He glanced over his shoulder and saw the woman's slender body burst into a million tiny sparkles of light. Then the white lady and her lantern disappeared. Do, 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 do. Wow. Where's the music? Thank you. He gave a startled shout as, as his car shuddered to a halt just ahead of the bend called the Devil's Elbow. It was a dangerous place to stop. At any moment, a car could come careening around the corner and hit him. He looked around cautiously for the horse and carriage he had heard a few moments ago. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing was there. Sully so put his foot on the gas pedal and drove at a snail's pace around the bend. The road on the far side of the bend was empty. He picked up speed as soon as he was sure it was safe and made record time driving up and over the mountain. His body shook the whole way home. No surprise. Yeah. He sat for several minutes in the darkness of his garage, leaning his face against the steering wheel and breathing heavily. Dear God, he had seen a ghost. A ghost. What else could it have been? He stayed so long in the garage that his wife came out to look for him. Seeing him sitting so still in the car, she got in the passenger seat and asked him what was wrong. Get out of the car! <laughs> Don't sit in the back seat, <laughs> asking for a friend. Still trembling with fear, he told her about the white lady he had tried to help on the way home. He was afraid his wife wouldn't believe his story, but it burned inside him and needed to be told. To his relief, she started nodding her head, and when he had finished, she said gravely, It must have been the white lady of Wapsanonic. The white lady, he asked, feeling a glimmer of recognition when he heard the name. She's the ghost of a woman who was killed at the devil's elbow, his wife said. According to the stories I've heard, the white lady and her brand new husband were traveling to the Wapsanonic Hotel at the top of the mountain, where they were going to spend the first night of their honeymoon. 
As they approached the bend in the road that we call Devil's Elbow, the horse was spooked by the sound of a wild animal, and it bolted, carrying the carriage and its occupants over the edge of the cliff. Both husband and wife were killed in the accident, but the husband's body was never found. From, this, from that day to this, the ghost of the white lady still searches the mountain for her missing husband. She kept saying that she was searching for her husband, he said slowly. Yes, I think you're right. It must have been the white lady I saw, and I heard the sound of a carriage accident just before she disappeared. And then he says, I tell you what, that's the last time I'm driving up Wapsanonic Mountain at night. I don't blame you admit his wife agreed. <laughs> so that's a fun story, I think. Yeah. But it's, that's a real, cool. it's a real local legend. I believe that. Like, again, there's so many lady in white stories all over the place. The Hollywood sign has one. Yes. She, they believe she committed suicide, right? Something like that, yeah. There's a story about that. I think it's on. Um, that, that's how we, Witness, yeah, Paranormal right? Witness. That's how we learned about it. Some people hopped the fence it's to fine. investigate the Hollywood that's sign. Right. Yeah, I remember now. And she started to like slowly walk towards them, <laughs> and they turned around and bolted. And Even she with just, them running, is she still following? Yeah, she's she's followed them the whole way out. I want to know how like you you're running, but she's still right there. She's just walking. It's like watching the Michael Myers stuff. Like I'm just uh-huh, walking yep. here. She's still there. All right, anyway. So I like that one. It's sad, though, because they were going up there for their honeymoon. Who puts a hotel the top mountain with a terrible turn? Like, come on now. Would you say they made a wopsie with that choice? Isn't that a terrible term in England? Or is it a whoopsie? That's whoopsie. Okay. You're not in trouble now. <laughs> I was going to be like, that's not appropriate, PJ. And we're not in England. <laughs> I don't care. You're half English. <laughs> Your father. Okay, this is true, but. What's the story about, like, you used the word bloody one time and you got smacked? Yeah. Well, I didn't get smacked. I got yelled at for that. What did you say? I don't know. It was something like, this is bloody ridiculous or something along those lines. And, yeah, (laughs) I was reprimanded. In my language, it's bad. Yep. All right. Well, let's finish up this evening then with stories from Gettysburg, shall we? We shall. All right, well, the first because one. Because that's our job. I just, I just can't. I need to leave now. Aren't you just so glad <laughs> I'm back this week? I could have been alone. You down here been. with my spooky voice into my spooky microphone. Anyway, so this one is also coming from Spooky Pennsylvania. I'll use my spooky voice. You sound like you're on NPR or something. No, <laughs> this, this is my NPR voice. Uh, it's great to be on the show tonight. That's, that's Mr. Oh, Dogman. Thank you for <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm Mr. Dogman. <laughs> Long time listener, first time calling. Anyway. Boom! Oh, boy. My <laughs> voice is also going because I've been sick all week, so it's a little scratchy. But So this one's Saks Covered Bridge. Remember, that's from our Gettysburg series. Did you do Saks Covered Bridge? That's no. I don't remember who did that one. Maybe it was me. But that's where they see, like, you know, heads and people, like, hanging and they get a really bad sensation. It's either you or Laura. Yeah, they get, like, you got a really bad feeling around Sex Covered Bridge. So this one is right out of Sex Covered Bridge, person telling their story, modern day story. I don't know exactly what draws me back to Sax Covered Bridge every time I visit Gettysburg. I just know that I feel compelled to drive there and take pictures. Of course, it is a beautiful spot, a covered bridge that was used by the Confederate Army to cross the creek when they withdrew from Gettysburg. But how many pictures can you take of the same place? Well, okay, if you're a photographer, that's a silly question. (laughs) Hundreds in all weather, seasons and lighting. 
but really, I'm only an amateur photographer, so why I personally feel compelled to take so many pictures of the bridge was a mystery about which my boyfriend was obsessing as he drove through the darkening countryside one evening in the late fall. You visited that bridge about a hundred times already, he complained, rounding a bend at full speed. But you've never seen it, I countered. Come on, honey, I'm hungry, he said. We can see it tomorrow or the next time we're in Gettysburg. No bridge, no dinner, I told him crisply. I like her. <laughs> Visiting Saks Covered Bridge was part of my Gettysburg tradition, and that was that. Besides, the bridge was supposed to be haunted, and that was definitely part of its draw for me. You never knew what might happen on a haunted bridge. According to legend, three Confederate soldiers convicted of being spies were hanged from beams in the covered bridge, and their bodies were discovered by Union soldiers patrolling the area. Their spirits were still said to haunt the bridge, especially at night. Other folks claim they sometimes smelled General Lee smoking his pipe when they were standing on the Saks-covered bridge. I'd actually smelled pipe smoke there once myself, and that was one of the reasons I kept coming back to the haunted bridge. Hmm. I know, it's kind of cool. As we approached the bridge, a chill blasted over my skin in spite of the warmth flowing into the car from the heater. The bridge, usually a friendly spot, seemed sinister and dark this evening. My stomach turned over and I swallowed back nausea. It felt as if there was a foul presence on the bridge that did not want us to intrude there. I changed my mind, I said quickly as my boyfriend stopped the car. I don't want to take pictures here after all. What? I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> but the boyfriend's like, what? My boyfriend practically screeched, staring at me in amazement. After you made such a big fuss about it, after you forced me to look at every single solitary picture you ever took of this bridge before we came to Gettysburg? No way, honey. I could be back at that hotel eating dinner and drinking beer right now, but no. We had to come to the bridge. Out you go to take your photos. <laughs> it sounds like you and me. Uh-huh, yeah. I was going to say, I appreciate this guy. <laughs> no, we're doing this. <laughs> he was right, I guess. It was silly to come all this way and not take the pictures, but I was utterly terrified to step out onto the bridge. My hand shook as I reached for the door handle, and I shook again as I secured my camera. Praying with all my might that whatever dark power was out there would leave me alone, I leaped out the door and aimed my camera practically at random down the length of the bridge, which was completely empty of anything but me in the car as I took several snapshots. But I could feel someone, a very nasty someone, standing right behind me, willing me to leave or die. The presence throbbed at me in an almost physical way, and my skin crawled desperately. I didn't dare turn around. I couldn't. I just whirled my camera around, aimed it over my shoulder, and snapped a picture fast. Then I leaped back into the car before whoever or whatever decided to grab me. I gasped, get me out of here now. My boyfriend took one look at my white face and terror-filled eyes and got me out of there. I didn't stop shaking until we were safe in our hotel room for the night. When I loaded the digital pictures onto my laptop the next morning, I went immediately to the pictures of the Saks-covered bridge, unsure of what I would see. In the first photo, a little boy in period costume stood at arm's length away from the camera. He was glaring at me with a twisted little face and an evil grin. He certainly hadn't been there when I took the picture, yet he looked solid enough to be real. The second photo was filled with misty figures that looked like phantoms. Creepy. I shuddered as I looked at them and quickly went to the next photo, the one I had taken over my shoulder without turning around. I gave a shriek of fear that brought my boyfriend rushing into the room. What is it, he shouted, and I pointed a shaking finger at the screen of the laptop. Pictured on it was a filmy, dark figure, half human, half beast, with blazing orange eyes filled with such menace and hatred. A long snout with a black nose and a bushy tail. This is the last part of the story, and it's supposed to be the scariest part, and you ruined it. (laughs) And it's Mr. Dogman. (laughs) No, he'd be like, hello, I I believe you have my stapler. (laughs) 
<laughs> He's Milton now. <laughs> yep. I'm going to burn the bridge down. You gave him an NPR voice. You did this. With blazing orange eyes filled with such menace and hatred that it made my stomach royal. He appeared so close to the camera that he must have been directly behind me. He looked like the devil. My boyfriend's eyes widened and he gasped, delete it. Delete it now. But how could I delete it? I'd captured pictures of ghosts on my camera. Was it worth the fright I'd had? I wasn't sure about that. Still, I couldn't delete them. My boyfriend refused to look at the photos again, and he swore never to come back to Sack's covered bridge. But I may go back there someday myself. See, I immediately don't believe this story. I just want to say, if you send me the pictures, I will believe you. Exactly. Like, so, so many times there are TV shows and movies and stories like this. They're like, oh, I took a picture. Where is it? Yeah. Give me the picture. And I want to be like, oh, it's, you know, that's silly. They're they're just silly. But then I think to myself, well, you know, we had all of our first episodes on one external hard drive and it died. So we've lost stuff. So it can happen. Yeah. Can happen. Anywho. So we're going to read a reverse curse out of Kirsten, Pennsylvania, and then we'll finish up with Chicky's Rock. Reverse curse out of Kirsten. The Kirsten, 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 Kirsten. The Kirsten reverse curse. Anyway. I was told there would be cake. <laughs> I did not get the cake last time. Mr. Dogman, if you could please see yourself out. But I was already moved to the basement. <laughs> I did not get my paycheck. <laughs> you can stay. I'll just leave. You can stay down here. I'll, I'll go back upstairs. Anyway. <laughs> Cursed in Pennsylvania. So we're going to do the, a reverse curse. It's fun to say, which is about Gettysburg still. And then we'll finish up with Chickie's Rock. So ghost, and we know that Mark Nesbitt's all about, you know, <laughs> Gettysburg. So it's kind of cool. Ghost stories swirl about the battlefield of Gettysburg, like the apparitions themselves. Where do they come from? Author Mark Nesbitt. Where do Nesb- they go? Where did they come from? Got you. Author Mark Nesbitt has collected well over 1,000 ghost stories about the battlefield of the town and its environs. Many are published in his seven-volume series, Ghosts of Gettysburg. Still others reside in his file cabinets, waiting to be published. While many of the stories in his first volume came from his days as a park ranger-slash-historian at Gettysburg, others came after the publication of his first book, From Visitors to Gettysburg, who just happened to run into one of the many spirits wafting about the great battlefield. Some are things that happened to Nesbitt while he was living in historic houses on the park grounds. They've been validated by other rangers who lived in these houses before him. Some stories came from older park rangers who patrolled the field in the 50s and 60s. There was the story of sightings of a horseman completely out of place riding down the west slope of Little Round Top. A horseman. Not Dogman. Mr. Horseman. His horse picked his steps very carefully around the brush and rocks. The rider could give him no direction through the reins because the observers noticed just before the horseman and horse vanished, the rider was missing his head. There are the other stories of the sightings of a woman in white, mostly from the vicinity of Spangler's Spring. She is seen floating by most descriptions across the open fields around the stone structure, housing the modern water fountain representing the original spring. And we discussed that, too, I think, in our... We talked a little bit about... Yeah, we mostly talked more about Spangler Farms. Yeah. Like the various Spangler Farms. There are, like, three of them, but yeah. Yep. We discussed the women there, like, you know, because they're trying to, like, help the people who were, you know, dying. But anyway, but one of the earliest ghost stories about Gettysburg comes from the soldiers themselves. So we're going way back. Wow. To 1863. All right. Okay. 
The Union's Fifth Corps had completed an arduous day-long march on July 1, 1863, from Maryland into Pennsylvania and was encamped for the night just west of Hanover, near McSherrystown. Exhausted, thirsty, hungry, they had just begun cooking their meager rations over their campfires in the dark when word spread through the camps. Douse the fires, pack up the half-cooked rations, wake up if you'd been lucky enough to eat quickly and then collapse into slumber. There had been a great clash of armies just a few miles to the west at a place called Gettysburg. An overnight forced march was ordered to reinforce their comrades in blue. Weary, angry soldiers forced stiffened limbs to pack up gear and fall into marching columns. Slowly, like a massive, undulating animal, the men moved through the hot July darkness. During a night march, the view was less than spectacular. A soldier would see the knapsack of the soldier in front of him. Occasionally, the twinkling of oil lamps being lit in the windows of curious farmers along the way would catch their attention. Mostly, the rhythmic slogging along through the choking dust lulled the men into an almost dreamlike state. Somewhere along the route, a bizarre rumor began to be passed back through the column, met at first with derision and disbelief. The front ranks had seen a rider, apparently leading the route. He was, by his carriage, obviously a fine horseman. He would stop, allow the column to catch up, then ride ahead again, until he was barely out of sight. The times he could be seen most clearly, the men could make out as well that he was a military man, for he wore a uniform. There were troubling details, however. His cape was longer than the modern military manual prescribed, and his hat was nothing like the slouch hats or kepis or hardy hats officers wore. In fact, he wore military headgear completely out of date by some eighty years, a tri-cornered hat. And little by little, as they continued to get brief glimpses of him, a profile here, a frontal view there, some thought they recognized him from the portraits hung in their one-room schoolhouses back home. It was the ghost of none other than George Washington himself. The identity of the spirit passed through the ranks like wind bending a prairie wheat field. Even the officers heard it. Years later, when he was asked about the specter who was leading the army, Major General Joshua L. Chamberlain, a lieutenant colonel in the 20th Maine at the time of the sightings, thought about it a long time before answering. According to historian John J. Pullen, the old general responded, Yes, that report was circulated through our lines. Doubtless it was a superstition, but yet, who among us can say that such a thing was impossible? So I like that, like, back and forth kind of answer, but even he was just like, I promise all, you know. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Most of the men were elated at what some had seen. They felt it was an omen, George Washington, the father of the country, stepping in front of the spirit world to lead them to victory and save the union he had founded. I like this last paragraph. This is like you, me, Lauren, Ray sitting around. It's a joke. Their enthusiasm might have been dampened had they stopped to remember two historical facts. First, Washington was a southerner, a Virginia by birth, Virginian by birth. And second, he was considered, at least by the British, a rebel. <laughs> <laughs> So I do like the, the, the tongue-in-cheek joke there. But yeah, going back to Gettysburg, they had their own spectral sighting on the way in. Huh. And Chamberlain had a comment about it. That's crazy. I know, right? Yeah. It's pretty cool. I can't imagine that the ghost of Washington would return for this. But it was like the defining... <clears throat> It was the defining battle of the war. And, like, even if he was a Southerner, he would want to see the war ended. You know what I mean? Like, because mm -hmm. he fought to create a free America. Yeah. You know, in Virginia, yeah. depending on which part you were in, either you were for or against slavery. So, yeah. Yeah. 
I don't know. It's just interesting. And I just thought it was kind of cool that it's continued all those years. But let us finish with Chickie's Rock. I'm ready. I hope you see an Alba Twitch in this. That's what I'm hoping for. Are you excited? I am. But I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be let down. Okay. Chickie's Rock. <laughs> Chickie's Rock County Park between Columbia and Marietta has a fascinating history that stretches from millions of years ago when a nascent river carved through its quartzite for some 200 feet. The Native Americans who settled first the area and named it Place of the Crayfish to the present when it serves as a playground for recreationalists. Place of the Crayfish. I like it. Things we I wonder what you can fish there. <laughs> Things you can hurt there. Let's be honest. We as children catching all the crayfish. Oh, we were pretty... evil. Well, I didn't hurt them like you did. I yeah. would catch them for them like little places and keep them for a whole day. I would have put them back in the water after. I, mean, I did too. They went back in the water. These weren't alive or fully together sometimes. No, sometimes we just had crayfish fight club. <laughs> no, it's we not made a... a little arena of rocks. <laughs> not okay. Put them together in the <laughs> arena. First rule of crayfish fight club, PJ. Crap. <laughs> In 1893, an electric railway, a trolley, was built to carry visitors to the magnificent view from the top. It also served to haul children to the amusement park built by the Electric Railway Company. The railway ran for nearly 40 years until it was finally abandoned. Bike paths and walking trails now lead visitors to the sites of interest in Chickie's Rock County Park. But one thing seems to run through its long history, unbidden and dark. The supernatural. Locals will agree that the view from Chickie's Rock is indeed spectacular and that the history and geology of the site are interesting. But along with the beauty, science, and history are tales that encompass the mysterious legends of curses, ghosts, and strange monsters. Ooh. There you go. From the earliest Native Americans came whispers of spirits sighting in the area, such as the tale of the lover's leap. The most popular version handed down involves a young Susquehannock Indian named Wananga who lived near the rock in his village. He had long admired a young woman from the village called Wanhuita. The young warrior had returned from fighting another tribe. Perhaps the closeness of death and war made him realize his deep feelings for Wanhuita. When he came home from the war, he took his paramour on a walk up Chickie's Rock, determined that he would there declare his love for her. Just as he was about to pour his heart out, she told him that while he was gone, she'd fallen in love with a white farmer who had recently come to the area. Oh. Wanango was furious and attacked the young woman. Her screams echoed from the rock and reached the farmer, who had waited nearby for moral support when she broke <laughs> oh, the news no. to Wananga. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, those love triangles, you know what I'm saying? The young man ran to help her, but was no match for the warrior, just returned from battle, now finding renewed strength in his heartbreak. He stabbed and then slit the throat of the white man, whose intervention had caused him so much pain. He threw the man's body off the cliff. Still burning with the pain of rejection, he grabbed Juanhuita and leapt off the cliff, carrying her to their mutual deaths. It is no surprise, then, that some visitors to Chickie's Rock County Park have returned with stories of seeing a young white man, dressed in colonial-style clothing, standing at the point of the rock. Sometimes they are unnerved by the vision of the same young man rushing through the woods. The frightening thing is that he is seen with bloody wounds and a terrified expression before he disappears into nothingness before their eyes. Hmm. That's sad. No Alba Twitch yet. No. Yet. Some hikers passing through the area have heard ghostly drums beating the rhythm from Native American times. Many have searched in vain for the source of the sound. 
For some who settled in the area, there seems to be a nagging, palpable presence of misfortune and bad luck. In the 19th century, an elderly lady was deprived of her land through the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania's use of the law of eminent domain, which we hate. Mm -hmm. Apparently, her struggle against the behemoth that was the state consumed her. When the legal battles were over, she turned to the only source for revenge she knew, the black arts. From the handbook of a famous brocher, we know the book. Oh, we already discussed yeah. it. See, it's all coming together. It's like a, our year recap montage. The something friend. Folk medicine and spiritual healer. She cast spells and put a curse upon the land from which she had been forcibly removed by the power of the state. Perhaps it is good that the state claimed the land. It's doubtful that anyone could live upon it without filling her curse. From the days of the railway, the long abandoned railbed has become a hiking biking trail that runs along the 180-foot point rock tunnel. The tunnel is rumored to be haunted by the spirit of a man struck by a train in the tunnel many years ago. From a former railroad worker comes the tale of the ghost of an old man with a long beard, carrying a staff and a red flag on it. He was seen by the worker on at least three occasions. The man was working the night shift. More than once he claimed the ghost saw him and greeted him before it disappeared. So not a residual haunt. Interesting you say that because the next paragraph says this, according to Paranormalist, is called an intelligent haunt. <laughs> Would you stop being psychic? You talked to Paris Reno one time. <laughs> she just unlocked something in she, my brain. She came to the Halloween party. Yeah, yeah she must when she have... was here. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's crazy. This entire thing, I just can't. In 1969, some teens descended from Chickie's Rock claiming they had seen a ghost up there. Word spread and a large number of curiosity seekers, literally hundreds, visited the rock into the late night hours over that summer. Many walked away disappointed, but others saw a strange mist form near the rock. Its color varied from green to gray. Others saw a house appear on the rock and just... One guy was looking in the wrong direction and said, oh, I missed it. Others saw a house appear on the rock and just as suddenly it vanished. The team... Wow who originated the story, later confessed that they had made it all up. Their story, though, drew others to the site. It's real hard to come by good real estate in this area. <laughs> then literally. It just disappears as soon as you see it. <laughs> as soon as it gets snapped up. Who then were convinced they had experienced something otherworldly. According to local legend, a robber buried his loot somewhere in the area. The early Pennsylvania Dutch settlers believed that ill-gotten gains would keep the spirit of the perpetrator earthbound until the booty was returned to its rightful owner. This robber apparently would rather guard his treasure than move it on to a better world, since his wraith allegedly haunts Chickie's Rock. And finally, there are the disturbing tales of supernatural creatures who roam the area. Yes. <laughs> there. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> this, this next line, I chose this spirit because I love you so much, but I just can't read it. Okay. <clears throat> they are small, hairy humanoids. Yes. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> whose only desire in life is for the, the luscious I can't do it <laughs> Whew, all right I got this <laughs> no put me in no I'm doing this for you because I love you they, they are small hairy humanoids whose only desire in life is for the luscious apples that grow in this area of Pennsylvania they are called alba twitches yes Pennsylvania Dutch for apple snitchers. Susquehannock Indians also described them hundreds of years ago. <laughs> oh, 
goodness. Rick <laughs> Fisher is a local author and paranormal researcher who chronicles the spooky sightings and weird encounters of the Marietta, Columbia, Chickies Rock area along the Susquehanna River. As a researcher, he is naturally skeptical of hand-me-down tales of the paranormal that seem to grow more and more fantastical with each telling. One early morning in 2002, however, his skepticism took a hit with an experience he had. He was driving home on Route 23 near Chickies Rock when he saw in the distance what appeared to be a person walking up the middle of the road. Closing in on the person, he slowed his car. He saw it was a smallish, quite possibly a child. His description is that he saw, quote, a stick-thin figure about five feet tall, covered with hair, standing in the road, illuminated by his headlights. He flipped on his high beams to get a better look, and the hairy creature turned to look at him. Fisher said he saw two yellow eyes staring back at him. In a second, the figure simply vanished, dematerializing from the middle of the road before Fisher's eyes. Never has an albatwitch been captured or killed. Exactly to what well, species... Well, if they can dematerialize. <laughs> <laughs> My God. <laughs> Just one more sentence and I can be done with this. Never has an albatwitch been captured or killed, exactly to what species they belong, or even to what world they belong, is an enduring mystery. So there you go. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> when I was reading all these books, I was like, what are some good stories that we could read to kind of round out our year and say, congratulations, we did it. We discussed all these crazy <laughs> cool things. And the albatwitch, po- like the albatwitch pops up in a Mark Nesbitt book. Like, what is this? <laughs> So there you go. Luscious apples. <laughs> oh, boy. Did you like the stories I chose for you this week? They were week? fantastic. I thought you'd appreciate them. <laughs> but I do find the Albatwitch interesting because Native Americans had stories about them, too. Just like Bigfoot. And re- reportedly put painted it on their shields, but yes. there's no evidence of that. They're like, they're, no, there aren't any shields. Well, not surprising, because like, most of us took all their stuff and destroyed it. Yeah. So, but I believe in Bigfoot now, ish, ish. I don't want to say, after I, the documentary, I don't want to say I believe in Bigfoot, but yeah, the, the video was kind of compelling and all the research we did for our crossover episode with Liminal Unlimited, like it was just learning about mm. the water being a portal. I was like, all right, I find this mm. interesting. I think the more you read about the paranormal, the more you start believing I'm maybe one of those people. Like flat earthers. Same thing. Not not gonna know. Nope. you read about nope. it. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no. No. I'm starting to feel that way about certain Warren cases. I've been watching a documentary about the Enfield poltergeist, and it's pretty compelling, I have to say. When it's acted out. Yeah, well, it, it's so for the listeners, it's on Apple TV Plus, and it's either 100% or, like, 90%. Like, most of it is real audio. And they just have actors lip-syncing, which is really awesome. I think it's 100% audio, because the guy had, like, 200 tapes of recordings. But it's pretty... It's a compelling documentary. It's really incredible. Well, I hope you enjoyed all the stories, PJ, and to all of our listeners. I hope you enjoyed them, too. Any questions, you can email us. But regardless... Please email us or Facebook message us or Facebook comment on the post or tweet us or comment on the YouTube video. Any of the above. Well, by YouTube video, I mean this episode on YouTube. If you listen to it on YouTube. And then you'll be entered in for a chance 
for all the cool, fun stuff I got here, including the ghost. Lobby needs a parent. You need to adopt this ghost. He's just... He's alone in the world and he likes trains. <laughs> so please post, comment, let us know what you're interested in so I can start doing episodes that are like, you know, listener centric. If you like me reading some kind of spooky stories, I got a whole bunch more. I teach a whole bunch of stuff. So in any case, I would love to hear from you so I know what you're interested in. Excuse me, Mr. Dodman, get out of here. Do you have any bones? This is supposed to be a spooky podcast. Or some jerky. I would like some jerky uh, beef. Anywho, thank you for making this a great podcast for the whole year. Really looking forward to seeing all the comments and messages. I miss Jackie. We need to get you back on here. Tim, you too. All right. But comment for a chance to win. Let us know what you're interested in. Have a great week. I'm going to go cry in a corner. Bye. <laughs> I, I, I believe you have my apples. My delicious, delicious, luscious apples. It's like a good milk, Dutch Milton. Thank you. Expression. Donkey shame.